right, welcome to the conversation. Uh, national politics is a mess. Uh, Supreme Court might be a mess. Let's try to sort it out. David Sirota is the founder and editor of the Daily Poster. Uh, does some of the best journalism in America. Uh, David, welcome back. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so um, I just want to clarify here. Uh, the Democrats tried to end the filibuster to pass voting rights. It failed. Cinema uh, and Manchin voted no. Uh, so we're done, right? Um, and, and I'm asking this as a very literal question. Um, the next three years, if you don't get rid of the filibuster, you can't pass any major uh, legislation. So are you hearing anything about Democrats trying to pass anything else for the next three years in Washington? Or have they kind of accepted their defeat and, and just moved to surrender? Well, I mean, the question about that is, a, is ultimately a question about if you're not gonna get rid of the filibuster, it's a question of how, what are you gonna do with the reconciliation process? Or is the Build Back Better bill, is that dead too? And it certainly seems, to use Princess Bride language, it certainly seems mostly dead. Now, maybe it's not completely dead, but you know they still have a, a technically a vehicle through which to pass legislation with needing only 50 senators plus the vice president. Whether they actually use that for something real, something that actually delivers real help to lots and lots of people, I mean that that remains an open question. And I think the weaker Joe Biden has gotten in his political standing, the easier it is perceived to be by people like Manchin, Cinema, and the probably five or seven other Democratic senators that Manchin and Cinema represent. It's easier for them to just walk away from any kind of deal whatsoever. So look, it's not a good time. It's a bad moment. And I wish there were other things to say about it other than that, you know, the Democratic Party has basically, if not given up, it certainly seems to have stalled out right now. And I don't know where it goes from here. So I guess, more specific version of that question is, have you heard about them talking about any other legislation? Or is it like maybe we'll bring back like a depleted 10%, 20% of build back better and try to you know, get that over the finish line so we can pretend we did something that Manchin and Cinema have allowed. I get that that's possible. I guess voting rights is no longer possible, so we're just gonna let the Republicans Steamroll us in all the states with you know anti-voting legislation they've passed in all those different places, but is there like usually there's like a rumor mill of another piece of legislation that's yeah. going to come up? Is that completely dead? Are they or are they like no no guys you don't get it? We have a secret fourth dimensional plan, and we're actually going to get this passed you know <laughs> six months from now. Yeah, I don't I don't see that. I mean, I th- I think there's been some talk that they might. Around the edges of of democracy reform, they might pass the the electoral voting reform, which is the basically there's a couple of Republicans who say they're open to the idea of making very clear that the vice president can't just steal an election through a kind of arcane counting of the electoral votes process. That's a pretty marginal. No, bill that's actually not a law. Set. No, because. That law already exists. <laughs> They're just saying, well, oh, yeah, by right, the way, right. you should follow this. Right. Law. We're just going <laughs> to, yeah, reiterate a, a law, right? So it's a it's a pretty marginal. It's not really a change. It's kind of a restatement of what is what is true. But in terms of you know sweeping voting rights legislation, 
there we've already we've just tested that there there doesn't seem to be a path for that outside of getting rid of of the filibuster and and we just saw that that happen so i haven't heard any any rumor like that i do think that they will try to 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 cobble together as you said 10 20 30% of what build back better was pass that and then claim some giant victory of course the the political danger of that is that in not delivering for people on major promises and then running out and saying you delivered a huge win, ultimately people are gonna realize what happened and not be all that happy. So it's kind of a, a catch 22 where if you try to trick people, ultimately people will 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 realize that they that the help that they were promised wasn't delivered. So I go back to what I've been saying for a long time now. I feel like a broken record. The that if you don't deliver for people when you win an election and are given power on promises to deliver for people, you should not turn around in the next election and be surprised that lots of people are either angry or lots of people are just not motivated to come out and vote for you. Yeah, no, I know they gave up because the arm twisting has begun. It's public, it's not anything nefarious. Well, it's totally nefarious, but it has 0% chance of working on progressives. But where Democrats and and other people in media start yelling at people like us and saying you're not doing sufficient marketing for the Democratic Party, (laughs) right? If you, well, I mean, the funny part about that is the really funny part about that is is that the same people who who yell at the left at this time of the election cycle, and it always starts right now about 10, 11 months before the election, yelling at the left from the center of the Democratic Party is. The center of the Democratic Party, the corporate center of the Democratic Party has gotten everything it wanted. This is its dream scenario. It got a lobbyist written infrastructure bill passed. It has up to now stopped most of the progressive agenda items and promises that the rest of the party has made. So the Build Back Better bill is stalled out. And they've gotten on policy exactly what they want. Now, of course, Joe Biden's approval ratings are in the tank. The Democrats look like they're about to get massacred in the next election. So the logical conclusion is is that giving the corporate center of the Democratic Party what it wants may be a big policy victory for corporate lobbyists, for the establishment. But it's not necessarily a big political victory for the Democratic Party as a whole. In fact, arguably, at least in a snapshot of right now, giving the corporate center of the Democratic Party what it wants is a political and electoral disaster for the larger Democratic Party. No, this is why I I now have switched from being frustrated with mainstream media to pretty much loathing them um, because they're all liars. Um, and I and I don't say that lightly. We're not right wingers. Like we get how the trick works. You put in facts and then you put the framing around it to make it seem like it's the opposite of what you just said. Uh, and so in this case, I mean, look at what David's point is. Um, Unassailable. There's there's no question that this is exactly what corporate Democrats wanted, and Washington Post writes an article saying Democratic Party's gone too far left. Now that's in anticipation of them losing the election, which they know they're going to lose, um, and and so they could turn around and blame us. Well, we we're not happy. We don't want this. This sucks, right? And then they say, no, you right. should cheerlead for it. Plus, when we lose, it's your fault. Because we went too much towards you. Well, we, you went too much towards us. Why do we hate it? 
You didn't go anywhere near us. Anyways, we gotta move on to the second topic, which is the Supreme Court. Look, David, before you even get to your point, which is a great one, are we sure they're gonna get someone on the Supreme Court? I mean, there's no end to how deeply Democrats can bungle something. So when I heard Breyer's oh, sure. retiring, I was like, "Be careful what you wish for." Right, I'm not. I'm not sure they're going to get a, a Supreme Court justice uh, onto the court. I, I don't know why anybody would 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 feel sure of that. Uh, we, we've seen uh, Mansion and Cinema be willing to stop the president's economic agenda. Uh, we, you know, what's to say they they or a couple other senators will? Vote with the Republicans to stop a nominee. I mean, I I don't think it's a it's a sure thing at all. I do think that Joe Biden, if you made me guess, I do think that he will probably try to put up some kind of nominee that appeases as many of the of the real power brokers in Congress. That is appeases or mollifies big money. I hope I'm wrong about that. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But that yeah. you know, the Chamber of Commerce really calls the shots when it comes to court politics. And I I think my guess is I'm I don't I'm just speculating here that Biden will try to pick a a, a judicial nominee who isn't all that offensive to corporate power and the Chamber of Commerce. No. There's no question about it. Write it down in stone. Because Biden is reeling. He's not going to want to put up a nominee and have it be rejected. What is the only way that he can guarantee that the nominee will not be rejected is if he picks a nominee that is handpicked by the Chamber of Commerce so that Manchin and Cinema and the Republicans will give that person permission to be on the court. So that means, congratulations, you just got a democratically appointed justice will very likely be very, very pro-business. So, David, there is some history of that, isn't there? Oh Yeah, I mean, look, the Supreme Court conversation in America is almost always only about so-called social issues, hot button social issues, which are important issues, civil rights, choice, voting rights, and the like. These are all very important issues. The problem is, is that they're not the only issues that the court deals with. That on a day-to-day basis, the court is mostly dealing with business issues, issues related to how our economy functions. And on those issues, the Supreme Court has moved very, very hard to the right since John Roberts was appointed to the court. John Roberts was a Chamber of Commerce lawyer. He represented them in private practice. It was a huge victory for the Chamber of Commerce to get John Roberts on the court in 2005. And since then, on business cases, John Roberts has engineered a court that has moved farther and farther to the right. Whereas two courts before John Roberts, the Burger Court was basically split between the Chamber of Commerce in terms of rulings for the Chamber of Commerce or against the Chamber of Commerce. Whereas it was split two generations ago. Now the Roberts Court is delivering 70% of case victories to the Supreme to the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce represents big business. It files amicus briefs at the court, making clear what kinds of decisions it wants. So 70% of the time, the court is now ruling with the Chamber of Commerce. These are the issues about economic regulation, 
uh, about union rights, uh, about worker rights, uh, about whether federal agencies can punish corporate wrongdoers or not. A whole myriad of cases uh, that deal with the economy. And so the, 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 what's not talked about really almost ever in corporate media is the fact that this is what the chain, what the Supreme Court is mostly doing. And yet this is almost never discussed in Supreme Court nominations. I mean, you may remember during the Neil Gorsuch nomination, a corporate issue came up for like one minute. It was about Neil Gorsuch's ruling on a case involving a trucker who was freezing to death on the side of the road and a company basically tried to fire him. It came up for like one minute and it was a big story and then it kind of went away, never to be really talked about again. And and what was incredible was it was so rare that economic issues were even discussed in the context of a Supreme Court nomination, even though again, the Supreme Court is mostly dealing with those kinds of cases. Yeah, two points about that that's gonna lead to our last question. So uh, number one, the corporate takeover of the Supreme Court started with a guy named Lewis Powell. He wrote the famous uh, or the infamous Powell memo and Nixon liked the idea so much, he put Powell on the Supreme Court. Uh, and Powell was a lawyer for the Chamber of Commerce, just like uh, John Roberts. And so uh, they've been doing this for a long time. But now, uh, to your point, David, it's not just uh, the right-wing justices that are in favor of right. business interests. It's also the theoretically left-wing justice. And of course, the mainstream media never talks about any of this because it would be against their corporate interests. And so I've never seen them discuss business cases in Supreme Court nominations, except for that one exception you just mentioned, right? Well, it's the majority of the cases they handle and it involves basically trillions of dollars. And that's not relevant, that's not relevant. Of course it's relevant, but they never talk about it. But David, part of the reason they don't, other than the fact that they're corporate media, is the corporate Democrats never bring it up in the confirmation right, hearings. Right. So they, there's no drama around it, there's no soap opera around it. Cuz the Democrats wanna look the other way too, they have the same exact owners. Which leads to the final question of the voting record of Breyer and the other so-called liberal justices, when it comes to the Chamber of Commerce, how right-wing is that or left-wing? It's a great question and, and it's the right point to make. Uh, Stephen Breyer, as an example, known as a liberal justice, Stephen Breyer voted uh, in his career 53% of the time with the Chamber of Commerce. That's the left edge of the court. Actually, to be fair, Sotomayor is the left edge of the court. She only supports the Chamber of Commerce position 43% of the time, uh, but the point is, is that even on the very left edge of the court, you have justices voting routinely with on the side of capital against labor, against retirees, against working people in general. That's how far right the court has moved. And 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 the point here is is that if Biden replaces Breyer with another Stephen Breyer-esque judge, it will further lock in that rightward shift for yet another generation at precisely a moment where the excesses of corporate power are so wildly obvious, right? To double down on a court that has moved so far to the economic right at a time of such a dystopian economy would really be a, a, a huge, huge missed opportunity. But again, that hasn't even been part of the conversation at all since since Breyer announced his retirement. It's just, it's just not part of the conversation, which as you imply is exactly the point that corporate media is not here 
to raise questions or scrutinize the corporate record of corporate jurists. The corporate media is here to distract people's attention from that, to make people think that John Roberts, as an example, is a quote unquote moderate because once in a while, he doesn't side with the very, very hard right on the court on a social issue, even though he is engineering a court for the long haul that has moved the law to the very far right on the core major economic issues that affect people every day. So you and I care a lot about facts, so let me correct you on one thing. And I get it from your own story at the Daily Poster, which is great. Um, Sotomayor, unfortunately, and I like her a lot. I mentioned it earlier on the Young Turks. I actually voted forty-eight percent of the time with. Sorry, sorry, you're right. I, okay. I, I, over, I, I was too, too generous. Sorry <laughs> yes. about that. Uh, so the outer uh, left edge of the Supreme Court agrees with the Chamber of Commerce basically uh, every other time, which is not how it's supposed to be. So, um, but we've forgotten all of that. And of course, another thing that won't be brought up. Uh, likely is Citizens United. It should be a litmus test for the left. It's absurd to say that corporations are human beings that have speech rights and they could bribe all of our politicians. But my guess is all we'll ever talk about is identity politics and social issues. None of those things will ever make any dent. And by the way, not just corporate Democrats, I'd be surprised if any Democrats brought up those issues. And and made a big stink about it. Honestly, they barely make a big stink about anything. So, uh, and let me add one, one quick thing. There's one one other thing that that isn't brought up very much. It's 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 economic issues, but it's also environmental issues. I should have mentioned it before. The climate change issue and the courts. Uh, oversight of how the law applies to polluters. This is obviously an enormously important issue. Not part of the conversation so far at all. Barely part of the conversation, even in the Amy Coney Barrett hearing, although it did come up uh, momentarily. But the point is, is that that's the biggest issue, arguably, uh, of the uh, of the entire millennia, and it's barely part of the conversation. All right, uh, check out everything that David's doing, dailyposter.com, Meltdown's uh, podcast is terrific that you should uh, listen to. And of course, he was also a producer on Don't Look Up. It was his idea in the first place, the meteor idea. So uh, check that out on Netflix. Uh, David, thanks for joining us, appreciate it, brother. Thank you, thanks, Cenk. No problem. Single payer, do you really, need it just at the national level or can you start at the local level? Have really blue states like California pass single payer in that state and see if it works and have that grow and grow. Well, good news, California was trying to do that right now. How did it turn out? Well, let's bring on Walker Bragman. He wrote a piece about this at the Daily Poster. And Walker, first, tell us what AB 1400 is and then we'll get to its fate. Thanks for having me on. So AB 1400 is an assembly bill that would have established the framework for a single payer system in the state of California. And that would have been accompanied by a constitutional amendment ballot measure to set up the funding for that framework. Okay, so well, I mean, it's a very blue state, super majorities in Congress. And luckily, you've got a Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom. Did Gavin Newsom make any promises on the campaign trail about single payer in California? 
That he did in 2018 on the campaign trail. Newsom was was quoted saying he's tired of of people who just make empty promises on single payer and and that that those comments won him the support of the of the California Nurses Union. So yeah, he's on record supporting single payer. So very blue state, super majorities in the legislature, and a Democratic governor who is very clearly on the record in favor of doing it. Not only doing it, but saying it's, he's tired of the empty talk of people who don't do it. So I'm sure it must have passed. Today we got news on it. What was the news? Uh, it did not pass. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did not pass. Uh, California has been has been fighting to. Uh, create a single payer system for for many years, um, and just haven't been able to get it across the finish line. This is the second time it's happened with Democratic supermajorities in the Assembly and the Senate, um, and I think it really speaks to the power of the state insurance industry and the groups that were opposing this measure. Uh, measure. Um, I mean, these these are groups that are heavily tied in with the Democratic Party, donating millions of dollars to the Democratic Party, including Speaker Rendon and Gavin Newsom himself, his inaugural committee. Yeah, it's it's really it's really bad. I mean, if you if you think about it, I think about it in these terms: we are two years into a deadly pandemic that's killed like nine hundred thousand Americans, and the bluest state in the country can't. Pass a single payer system because the business interests opposed to it are too powerful and have their hooks too deeply in the state Democratic Party. I call that a crisis of democracy. Yeah. So Walker, no one else does. I, in terms of the L.A. Times, San Francisco Chronicle, etc. I maybe I'm wrong. I have haven't read all their articles, but I have not seen them. Raise the alarm on this yet? Um, uh, they seem to think apparently these legislators who all promised single payer had reasonable and principled conversations with one another, and then magically decided that they were full of crap earlier, and you shouldn't listen to their earlier version of themselves. And and now they've found Jesus, which is apparently corporate Jesus. Uh, but they, golly gee, none of the reporters can figure out why it happened. Okay, so now you have this conspiratorial theory that it might have been the donors. Well, how much? I mean, from what I hear, Walker, the reason that sounds conspiratorial is that donors, number one, donors only affect Republicans. Democrats are immune from donors, is what I hear. That's what the mainstream media tells me. And number two, I mean, donors, what are we talking about? Five bucks, 10 bucks? Did anybody get up to 200 bucks? Well, how much money did they give the Democrats that it might influence them? So let's let's uh, let's take this back to 2017. Um, the International Business Times reported that when when the single payer measure was was up uh, in 2017 and did not did not pan out, the bill passed the Senate, but then Speaker Rendon did not uh, bring it up for a vote in the House. The reason that he cited was. Uh, he said that there were problems with it, including financing. Incidentally, that's the same issue that we're dealing with now. So you've had years to deal with it, and you haven't. Um, anyway, so we're we're talking about uh, 1.2 million dollars uh, from groups that were on record opposing the the measure back in 2017. Uh, since 2012, those groups had donated 1.2 million dollars to the state Democratic Party. Um, 
including uh, including eighty two thousand dollars directly to Speaker Rendon himself. Now this time around, I mean, Blue Cross or Blue Shield of California has a longstanding relationship with Governor Gavin Newsom, going back to two thousand five. Uh, the company donated at least ninety nine thousand dollars to uh, Newsom's campaign since twenty ten. Uh, since twenty ten, which it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but then you take into account the uh, behested payments that they've made to his charitable causes, which which uh, go up into the millions. So we're dealing with a lot of money here. There is a lot of money from these companies that that is going into the Democratic Party, into Democratic Assembly members, into the governor. It's it really this this is not a story of principled opposition discovering that oh we've got this financing issue that we've had years to take care of and just haven't figured out yet. This is a story of how money is winning at the state level, at the national level, at at the local level. Money talks in America. That's the direction. That's the story here. Any reporter that doesn't understand that politicians are absolutely addicted to donor money is an idiot and not an actual reporter. It doesn't know a thing about politics. Like they have they spent a minute with a politician. The minute you get in a room with a politician, they'll tell you because they can't help it. Like money, I want the money. Do you have money? I want money. Okay. It's so goddamn obvious. $1.2 million. You're a reporter, Walker. Uh, an actual one that was twenty, and that was twenty seventeen. So, so Blue Shield of of California gave a hundred thousand dollars to Newsom's inaugural uh, inaugural fund. Like that's that's legal. Yeah, <laughs> you Walker. Know? Whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or eighty nine thousand dollars or one point two million dollars, um, do you think that giant corporations give that money for charity? No, of course they don't give it for charity. Of course they give it to buy politicians. Have in your experience, are Democratic politicians as opposed to Republicans angels and immune from being affected by millions of dollars? No, I don't. I don't think anybody's immune from being affected by millions of dollars. Yeah, well, yeah. that's weird. That you that just made you instantly one of the top reporters in the country because apparently every <laughs> other reporter can't figure it out. They're like, oh, millions of dollars. They're Democrats. Now, of course, they're not going to be affected by that. So, the, you everybody can read the articles today as to why AB 1400 lost. Almost none of them will mention the real reason. 99% of the reason is the donor money. It's not at all complicated. Walker solved it. Okay. Well, you know, you know, I have to say this: the the Sacramento Bee actually did did a, their editorial board put out a story about how. You know, news. This was a big moment for Newsom. Was he going to stick with uh, his campaign promise, or was he going to go with the donors? I mean, this is an open secret. <laughs> yeah, you know, people, people know. No, but it, so first of all, credit where creditors do. If God bless, I'll take it. Right, I'd be thrilled if they actually did their jobs. Right, uh, but well, you mentioned it because it's an obvious exception. <laughs> Right, where they mentioned, hey, is he going to do what he promised? By the way, yep. uh, spoiler alert: the answer is always no for a corporate Democrat. They promise something, you bet as much money as you have that they're not going to do it, unless you're in a secret donor meeting at French Laundry, in which case they will deliver everything they promised. So that's just a fact, um, and it got proven again on Monday when they um, uh, killed it, and so. Um, 
Gavin Newsom is a star in the Democratic Party because he's attractive and he survived an insane recall effort by the Republicans that had no chance of working in California. Blue Shield also helped him through that. Oh, Blue Shield gave him money. To, yeah. Oh, what a big surprise that is. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's really it's. I mean, look, this in in 1976, the Supreme Court opened the floodgates for corporate money um, it, it, or uh, corporate interests to start to start flooding our elections. Uh, in Buckley versus Vallejo, that was the that was the case where they ruled that individual spend outside spending, not coordinated with a, a candidate or campaign, that was okay. Couldn't lead to corruption or even the appearance of it. And based on that ruling. Uh, after that came to, uh, in 2010, you get the Citizens United ruling, and then the um, the District Court ruling and speech now. So this is, I mean, we've we have unleashed big money in in this country, and our politics have suffered for it. Our institutions have become less effective, um, less responsive to people, and that goes that goes down right down to the state level. I mean, yeah, th- this is the bluest state in the country. Yeah, no, you're you're much more polite than I am. They they haven't suffered; they're destroyed. Uh, there isn't the the government is not less responsive. It's completely unresponsive to the people. Zero percent, none. The Democratic leadership will never do what they say. Never. It's a lie. I we tell you ahead of time that it is. So that's going to lead me to my last question. So, um, is there any hope for single payer? In one of the bluest states with a supermajority and Democrats running everything. There's my guess is there's no way in hell that those corrupt Democrats like Gavin Newsom will ever do it. They'd rather take the million bucks every single time. So are we kidding ourselves? Is there any hope here? Is or by the way, can you do a ballot measure to get around them? Because in order for anything that helps the voters pass in California, it's gotta be a ballot measure. Because the politicians are so corrupt that they're completely hopeless. You could do a ballot measure. Uh, that is that is a good idea. Um, gosh, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's I I this the cynic in me agrees with you and says these people will never do anything. They won't. They don't want to do anything. They they don't care. They're not they're not responsive. On the other hand, you know the. Part that sort of keeps me going says that if enough people get out there in the streets and are and are demanding change, then at some point, at some point, somewhere down the line, it you know an idea whose time has come will will happen. No, so no, there's I, only I, one way. There's only one way. Uh, you have to vote against. You have to primary every Democratic incumbent. Okay. Well, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, and so yeah, look, there's just Democrats. There's some progressives in California. So okay, do your research. But honestly, if you voted against every Democratic incumbent in a primary, you'll help save the country. Um, you can't vote for the monsters on the right wing; they're fascists, right? So people yeah. pretend there's no option. That's not true. There's a perfectly good option. It's called a primary. It's an election, just like a general election. You go there, you find whoever's the incumbent, and you vote against them because they're never going to do it ever, ever, ever. The only way that they would ever pay attention is not if you're in the streets or if you sent an email or etc. The only way that they're gonna do it is if you vote them out of office and you put in someone that will. And if they don't, you vote them out of office. And you keep doing it until you wipe the party clean of all these people. Of course, the other thing you need is real reporters like Walker Bragman 
and real uh, journalists like at the dailyposter.com to call it what it is. And look, you gave the facts and I'll put the, the name to it. Gavin Newsom is definitely, definitely corrupt. So have the courage to say it, have the courage to cover the issue. Uh, but there's no chance mainstream media will do that because they love the corruption. So that's the situation we are in America. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. I mean, especially especially today with this pandemic, I think it's really sort of just exposed everything, right? Like this the the dysfunction that you're seeing, this is this has been there all along. It's just just now it's more apparent because the need for it to function better is is so pressing. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I definitely think that it's it's important to expose it. I think it's important to take action and you know, vote these people out and, and get primary challengers and whatnot. It's just it's very hard and it's a it's a hard road to go down because you know you lose more than you win, yeah, and that's that's, that's that is the nature of politics yeah. until you don't. Until you don't, right? It's that's life in the big city. Plus, the only reason we lose is because of the mainstream media. Uh, we, because I don't say that because I agree with progressives. I say that because of the polling, the Democratic voters are incredibly progressive. But they don't know who the progressives are. The mainstream media craps all over the progressives, fluffs up the corporate Democrats. They're liars on a mass scale. Read the Daily Poster, stop reading the crap that passes for so-called journalism mainstream media. And by the way, what Walker alluded to there in terms of Supreme Court decisions that allowed the corruption, it's a giant part of my book. You can pre-order now, Justice is Coming. Book.com. You got to put book in there, justicecomingbook.com. And meanwhile, read uh, Walker's piece on this. It's brilliant. It gives you the actual facts uh, at dailyposter.com. Walker, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem.